Hi, friends. Welcome to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. I'm Leona Evans, and I'm here on this very special day with my son and co-host, Matthew J. Evans. Hi. Today really is a special day. We witnessed history being made. The jury came back in the George Floyd murder trial, and former police officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all three counts of murder. Finally, justice has been served. Yes, it has. And that's why this episode is titled The George Floyd Trial and the Journey to Human Rights. Today, we want to recount that story, go over the verdict and what it means, talk about how our lawmakers can take this opportunity to deal with systemic racism and what we can do to help. Now, as most of us already know, one of the most important and heartbreaking events that took place in 2020 was on May 25th, when a 46-year-old black man named George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis while being arrested on suspicion of passing a counterfeit $20 bill. After Floyd was handcuffed and lying face down, Derek Chauvin, a white police officer with the Minneapolis Police Department, knelt on Floyd's neck for 9 minutes and 29 seconds. Two other officers assisted Chauvin in restraining George Floyd, while another officer prevented bystanders from interfering and intervening in the situation. Before Floyd was placed on the ground, he exhibited signs of anxiety and begged police not to shoot him. After the police got Floyd restrained, they placed him face down on the ground, and Chauvin placed his knee on Floyd's neck. Floyd became more anxious and distressed and kept saying that he couldn't breathe and for Chauvin to remove his knee so that Floyd could breathe better. He said that he was afraid he was going to die and kept begging for help. Chauvin kept his knee right where it was and refused to remove the pressure on Floyd's neck. Meanwhile, a group of bystanders had been gathering and started yelling for Chauvin to take his knee away from George Floyd's neck and to get him some medical help. But the officer refused to do anything. Finally, Floyd was motionless. One of the officers found no pulse. Even so, Chauvin refused to move his knee from Floyd's neck until the medics arrived and ordered him to do so. The following day, after the videos made by the witnesses and security cameras became public, all four officers were relieved of their duties, and two autopsies found Floyd's death to be a homicide. Derek Chauvin was charged and released on bail. This tragic event sparked worldwide protests against police brutality, police racism, and lack of police accountability. After so many years of police brutality against minorities, the Black Lives Matter movement calling for justice began to grow in great numbers and has been supported not only by black people, but by white allies as well. The evidence against Derek Chauvin was undeniable. The whole world watched that video again and again and again, crying at the unnecessary suffering of George Floyd and fearing that justice wouldn't take place. I don't know anybody that hasn't been affected by this terrible tragedy. The jury trial began on March 29, 2021, and the verdict was handed in today, April 20th. There was so much riding on this verdict and so much anxiety about whether or not this trial would finally result in a fair decision. 
Finally, the verdict was announced this afternoon. Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all three counts. This is what justice looks like. Derek Chauvin was convicted of second-degree unintentional murder, which is also called felony murder, and means that prosecutors showed that Chauvin killed Floyd while committing an assault. They didn't have to prove that he intended to kill Floyd, only that he intended to inflict unlawful force that caused bodily harm. Prosecutors proved that Floyd died from a lack of oxygen from the way he was restrained, which was handcuffed and face down, and that it was unreasonable to hold him handcuffed and face down in that position for 9 minutes and 29 seconds. Chauvin was also convicted of third-degree murder, which is when the perpetrator causes another's death through an action that was eminently dangerous and carried out with a reckless disregard for and conscious indifference to the loss of life. They proved that Chauvin did not do what he was trained to do, and the reason they don't train police to do that is because it's eminently dangerous. Finally, Chauvin was also convicted of second-degree manslaughter, which is causing the death of another through culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, and that he consciously took the chance of causing severe injury or death. The testimony revealed Chauvin should have known to put Floyd in a side recovery position, that he should have provided medical care before paramedics arrived, and that he stayed in his position after he was told George Floyd didn't have a pulse. The sentencing will take place a few weeks from now, so we won't know for a while what type of prison sentence Chauvin is looking at, but the fact is, he was tried fairly, all the evidence was presented, and the jury unanimously voted to convict him. When CNN anchor Don Lemon said, Today, we saw that the justice system works, commentator Van Jones replied, It's not the system that works, the people make the system work. Now, I think this is a very important statement because no system can really be effective unless the people interpreting the system are ethical, trustworthy, and free from inherent biases. There's no doubt that we definitely need police reforms and restructuring of our legal systems. But the real hope of today lies in the fact that the people on the jury the attorneys, the witnesses and bystanders, and the protesters demanded the truth and were willing to stand up for it. Something else that made this such a historic moment is that this case broke through what has been referred to as the Blue Wall, where police officers have always been unwilling to testify against one another. But because of multiple factors, such as the wide distribution and cold honesty of the video, the vast protests reaching across race and politics, and the vigorous community organizing that has supported all this, the pressure finally broke and we had officers willing to testify and say that what Derek Chauvin did was wrong and not in keeping with what an officer should be doing. And so, the future looks brighter in spite of the tragedies that have brought us to this point. Because we have faced the truth that there's systemic racism that must be dealt with, that people of color must be treated fairly, and that white people need to wake up and become part of the solution. President Biden told the story today about having spoken with George Floyd's young daughter, Gianna. She said, My daddy changed the world. 
And I really believe in many ways that that will prove to be true. We need to remember that the goal of this trial was not to make Derek Chauvin suffer, but it was to hold him accountable for what he did. By holding him accountable, we're setting a new precedent of equality and fairness for all people. Those of us who desire peace and a higher level of connection and communication with others cannot afford to stay in an eye-for-an-eye mindset. This whole thing is about justice, not revenge. Now, I agree that incarceration is the best thing for Chauvin because of his lack of respect for human life. But I would like to see him and other prisoners in a long-term rehabilitation-type setting where they would receive treatment, medication, and other forms of therapy. In this way, we can hold people accountable without demonizing them or dehumanizing them, regardless of what they've done. This is the way of nonviolence. Today, President Biden said this can be our first opportunity to deal with systemic racism and work with police reform. And Merrick Garland, our U.S. Attorney General, is opening up investigations into the practices of the Minneapolis Police Department. Yes, and that might very well extend to other police departments as well. Now, George Floyd's brother, Philonis, has been speaking out about what this victory really means. He said, People around the world have been sending me messages that say, let's know that we can all breathe again. He went on to say, we're fighting for accountability. This is a pivotal turning point. Now, one of the things that Philonis said that really warmed my heart was when he thanked all of the people who contributed to the victory. He referred to the white allies as a bouquet of humanity. This was really important to me as someone who's been a white ally since the civil rights marches in the 60s. I'm very, very grateful for the acknowledgement, but I also realize that there is still so much more that we can do. Exactly. This is only the beginning of people being willing to admit that institutional racism exists, and without realizing it, we've been taking part in it. This shows up in everything from microaggressions among work colleagues to ignoring the fact that white privilege happens all the time and we don't see it. Last year, Unity of San Luis Obispo hosted a book club on the best-selling book How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. It was an incredible wake-up call to the many ways racism is being enacted in our everyday lives. Yes, it's an incredible book, and I recommend it highly. The fact is, it's often hard for white people who are sympathetic to the cause of racial equality to realize that there's so much more to learn that can make us more knowledgeable and more willing to take positive action. In other words, there's a big difference between being good-hearted and being conscious of the history and implications of systemic racism. I saw an interview with Martin Luther King III today, and he talked about his father, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision of a heightened level of accountability, which was based on a revolution of values designed to bring about peace, justice, and equity. One of the ways I see this level of accountability taking place is for each of us to admit that no matter how loving and compassionate we might be, we are definitely carrying biases that we don't know we have because we were born into them. 
whether we realize it or not, white people have had advantages that we are still not aware of. And it's up to each of us to continue to read books and take classes on microaggressions and on the history of racism to help us understand why certain laws are still on the books and what we can do about them. It's really important for white allies to let go of feeling personally offended when someone suggests that we have inadvertently committed a microaggression or said something that might be offensive or hurtful to a minority group. We have a tendency to get defensive and try to prove that what we're saying shouldn't be construed as a microaggression because we aren't racist. Unfortunately, the more we say we're not racist, the more unwilling we are to look at some of our words and behaviors that we're unconscious of. Learning about these things does not mean that we purposely meant to offend. It just means that we have a lot to learn. And the sooner we understand this, the more effective we can be as white allies. And I believe it's important to let people know when we believe they've committed a microaggression without being accusatory or causing them to go on the defensive. For many years, I've been silent about ignoring little slights or listening to jokes that have negative implications about marginalized groups. Now, I'm feeling much more inclined to point them out with the idea of helping others understand how those comments might be hurtful or create an unwanted impression. We all need to remember that just because we didn't mean it doesn't mean we didn't do it. I honestly believe it's too late for us to let our ego get in the way of what promises to be a time of positive and powerful reform. What can white allies do to help? Well, our June 4th, 2020 episode, titled Promoting Racial Equality, What a White Person Can Do, is filled with recommendations for how we can be of greater help to end systemic racism in our justice system, in our voting system, in our financial institutions, in our job markets, as well as in our interpersonal relations. Please check it out on our episode list. It boils down to this. Join groups or organizations that can help you understand both current and proposed legislation. Let your elected representatives know where you stand on these issues and let them know which bills are important for you. For example, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act and H.R. 1, the For the People Act of 2021, which addresses voter access, election integrity and security, campaign finance and ethics for the three branches of our government, are two huge pieces of legislation that are being debated right now. Be informed and be active for reform in nonviolent ways. So... It's time to get off our affirmation and make the most of a new day for freedom and justice for all. Please remember that your voice matters and you make a difference. Thanks so much for listening to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. Please connect with us on our Facebook page and on our website, getoffyouraffirmation.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Have a wonderful week. You deserve it.